you are now responsible for a child that you have to be around for to care for. And so when we understand that this is not your brain malfunctioning, this is not your way, your body's way of reacting to things badly. This is a really, really beautiful sign that your body and your brain are actually doing their job perfectly. And that when you understand that you are functioning perfectly, then you can start to empower yourself to make much uh, more compassionate choices towards things as opposed to thinking, oh my God, there's something terribly wrong with me. Sister, if you are anything like me and you struggle with stress and anxiety and managing those big feelings, then you are going to want to get a pad and paper to take notes for this episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Momster Podcast. My name is Jessie Trulove and I am your host. Today, I am sitting down with Anna from Anna the Anxiety Coach on Instagram. She supports women to come home to themselves, befriend their nervous system through somatic therapy, breath work, polyvagal, and holistic practices. This show is literally jam-packed with education, tools, practical takeaways to get you more connected and in tune with your nervous system. Anna is a wealth of knowledge. She is educated and certified in clinical anxiety treatment. She has certifications in breath work, nutrition, somatic embodiment, and more. She lives the nomad lifestyle with her partner and dogs in Australia, and she is the founder of the Kind Mind Club. I cannot wait to dive into this episode. I know you guys are going to love it. With that said, let's dive into the show with Anna. Okay, I am so excited to have Anna, the anxiety coach, uh, come and speak with us today about everything she does with the Kind Mind Club and helping us regulate our body um, with these at-home mind-body nervous system-centered therapy protocols. Um, Anna, I'm so stoked to have you. She's currently in a tent. You guys can't see her like background, <laughs> but she's like so cool. She's a nomad. She has this really cool tent background. It's awesome. Anna, introduce yourself. Tell us um, about you, your story, how you got into this work, and more about what it means to focus on the mind-body nervous system centered therapy. <laughs> Thank you so much for the beautiful introduction, Jesse. I'm so excited to be here. And yes, I'm currently in a tent living nomad life in Australia. And it is uh, very exciting, but also quite stressful at times, which is a great uh, learning space to be in, in terms of understanding your nervous system and regulating all of the different facets that come with that. So a little bit about me, I um, am a qualified counselor and coach, and I really got into this work um, and working specifically with anxiety due to my own experiences, my own personal life story. And that really started when I was 10 years old um, and I went to very naively went to a uh, fair show with my family and um, I was in a roller coaster accident with my sister and we both suffered some pretty extensive injuries and were in hospital for a prolonged period amount of time. And from that, lots of different kind of uh, shifts occurred within me. So for me personally, that was um, a real break from being this like really outgoing, fun-loving child to becoming very aware that life wasn't as I uh, expected it to be. At 10 years old, I had no idea what mental health was. Um, right. And here I was like contemplating uh, what it was to be alive in my existence and all of these like deep things that really... Uh, really kind of swayed me in a darker direction of my young life because it was hard to comprehend and understand that with the without the right support system and guidance in place um and that really led me on a path of kind of rebellion and and just disconnection I felt so angry and disconnected from myself but also from other people um and that continued on until my early 20s to where it kind of came to a head and I was the picture of success I'd go out and be charming and have conversations but come home and just be completely wrecked I, I didn't know who I was or how I felt and um, that kind of compounding and never-ending feeling of heaviness and weight on my body was something that I really had to make a decision about what I wanted to do could I keep pushing could I keep doing the same things that I was doing and just hope for the best or did I want to take a different path and that was like the fork in the road for me in which okay. I had to kind of take a moment to go what am I doing? Like, is this worth it? Is this worth my my time and energy continuing in the same 
path because this is this is really heavy and hard to keep doing this um and so I made a very conscious decision that I would try to understand myself more I'd been to psychologists therapists everyone in between and I felt like I was banging my head against the wall so I really wanted to take what I had felt with frustration but also what I had learned through my own studies of psychology um little snippets that I had learned about the mind-body connection the gut-brain connection and start to expand into those areas so that I could really start to get the ball rolling on actually feeling different to what I had been feeling there was one thing to like cognitively think my way through things but actually feeling different in my body was a completely different scenario so that was really what set me on the path of discovery for myself but also part of that was knowing that other people also felt as frustrated and disenfranchised with the system as I did and the more that I talked about that and the more that I shared my story the more people were saying oh my god I felt exactly the same way CBT just wasn't really cutting it for me and so I have just dived headfirst into this world where I am just so excited and passionate about discovering how we as human beings are just innately uh, wise and we have this all of this generational wisdom that we've kind of become detached from and that's where the mind-body connection kind of comes into place and in integrating those two things to create a really holistic space for us to move in and understand ourselves through which I feel like is a much nicer way to look at it instead of saying we have disordered thoughts how do we actually actually connect back to our body and create safety and an anchor within ourselves as well so that's a very long-winded way of explaining like my story no, I'm here for it no that's that's incredible <laughs> and I think just touching on that I think I've had kind of a theme in the last couple of um, guests that have been on and it's really about tuning into yourself listening to yourself believing yourself and knowing that if you if you really can listen to yourself you have what it takes to make these choices and to make change and all of these things that kind of just how you were kind of mentioning it's kind of like pushed on us that we don't have the ability to do like if you if your body and your mind and your gut are telling you something like just tune that out just follow like what what we're telling you just you know and I feel like you're going against the system just with your background you're in a tent right now you know um <laughs> and I it's just incredible you know you taking what happened to you which 10 years old is a baby that is a, that is a baby, you know, and your whole world being shift, like completely flipped upside down and being able to process that, you know, it took years, but being able to repurpose that event that happened to you and turn it into so much good. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, I have sent your account to a couple of people that I immediately, like before this podcast is even going to come out, I'm like, you need the tools that are on this page because they're, they're action items that you can use right now. You know, it's not mm -hmm. something where you, have to go pay a bunch of money to go see somebody in person. These are things that we know they affect the brain a certain way and you can tap into those right now. And I think you just bringing that information to the space in a way that is digestible and usable and not intimidating. You know, I feel like with the last couple of years, mental health discussions have been at the forefront of everybody's mind, which is amazing, but I still think there's a stigma and it's very intimidating to like figure out who's a good therapist and like all these things when just like you were saying, we have this innate wisdom within us that if we have the tools, like the tools that you're teaching people how to use, we can tap into that in ourselves. Not to say that, you know, yeah. what you're putting on social media is therapy, right? Cause it's not, you don't need to go see somebody in person. It's individualized, but these are tools that we can tap into. Yeah, and, so and I absolutely, I, I absolutely agree with you on that because I think we've moved so far away from giving people back the power and that was really like where I wanted my Instagram and my social media and all of my work to be is that we have access to these tools and you don't need to have a veil of secrecy behind how to heal yourself because right. absolutely like your your um, ability to do that is greater than anyone else's ability to do that for you and so if I can start that kind of the ball rolling for anyone just with yeah. simple actions and, and tools and resources then I that that just makes me beyond happy and excited for what is to come with the movement that's happening in the in the space as well I don't know how many times you can get the chills in a row but I've literally like just <laughs> hearing you talk and I like, talk about this stuff is like just giving me the chills because it's just what you're doing is planting seeds you know and giving people that initial like they don't have the full fruit tree of the orchard you're giving them a seed that could turn into a really big change you know and you're you are starting a movement in that sense or being a part of something bigger and um 
And I, I do like to say that the, the secret is there is no secrets, right? And it's just, if you're trying to hide and hoard these things that people could potentially grow from, there are things that you can tell and teach people that are going to help to a certain point and then they need more help. You know, it's, it's depending on what kind of trauma you've experienced. You know, not everything is applicable to everybody, but, you know, at least you're planting that seed and giving them these more general tools that we know they work for the brain. We know that they stimulate the body in this certain way. So I've got some really fun questions that, you know, I am a pre and postnatal corrective exercise specialist and I help people get their breathing back on track. And I don't go into detail about, you know, because people are coming to me for very specific reasons, but the breathing is like, is just fascinating to me what your breath can do. You know, when people say like, take a deep breath, the first thing they do is, <gasps> and I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> You're doing that wrong. If your shoulders are coming up to your ears, you've trained your body to, to make you feel like taking a big breath with your chest and shoulders up to your ears is taking a big breath and it's not, you know, yeah. but when you really know how to breathe, you're stimulating different nerves and you really do take a deep breath and you can calm down, but we forget how to breathe, you know, yeah. our, our traumas and our parents growing up, like everything affects that at such a young age. And I'm like obsessed with breath work. And that was something that really uh, was a catalyst for me uh, shifting into a, a very embodied kind of holistic space as well, because I had my own breath work experience. And it was something that for the first time, I realized how dysfunctional my breathing was. I, um, for many years, experienced pins and needles sensation in my hand and, and throughout my body. And it was never really presented to me as this idea that breathing could really enact so much change but the mechanics of your breath and understanding how to correct your breathing um is one of the most fundamentally life-changing kind of tools that you can do and your like you life, said like about any part of it yeah. any part of your life yeah. learn how to breathe <laughs> yeah and what you said about um taking a deep breath this this notion that as a society we go i'll just take a deep breath but we don't functionally teach people how to take that breath in a way that's going to be beneficial in any way shape or form right and so <laughs> we have to actually go back to understanding the mechanics of how our lungs work how our diaphragm works how everything kind of works in this perfect synergy when you give it the right cues and tools to do that and if you can um, take back that power of simply just understanding how your breath works you are going to create such a beautiful cascading of changes and shifts within your body and your physiology that every everything else becomes so much easier. So I love that you, you are working so closely with people to really help correct breathing patterns as well, because it's fundamentally one of the, the, the most uh, powerful things that you can do. I specifically work with women in the prenatal and postpartum population. And, you know, I know that you have experience with working with these types of women um, and population also, um, but just this can really apply to anybody. I just know personally postpartum and pregnancy and parenthood is extremely anxiety provoking and hard and the mental load is like very heavy. Um, but when we're looking at the difference between anxiety, true anxiety and what is considered normal worry, uh, how do we know what is considered more than normal? Like, is there a normal amount of worrying about something, anything? Um, and yeah. then how do we know that it's like going too far and we need to kind of like tap into, okay, this is like too much. Yeah. And that's a really difficult question to answer because uh, your normal is going to be different from someone else's normal. And some people are more predisposed to having um, characteristics that are uh, more on the worry side of the spectrum. And so everyone needs to understand that your ability to understand what is normal for you is really individualized and unique. So when we look at anxiety as a more general kind of picture, anxiety is really just a stress response. It is how we survive through the world. So the experience of anxiety in and of itself is normal. So if you are a new mum or you're about to become a mum, that's going to be stressful. It's a stressful experience. Your life is changing in ways that you could not have anticipated until mm -hmm. you're going through that experience. And the uncertainty and stress that comes from that is anxiety inducing. So the experience of anxiety itself is your body's way of going, how do we navigate this um, so that you're surviving through this situation? And it does that through a number of different tools. Obviously your fight or flight response is a very normal one. Um, also freeze and dissociation, that type of thing is very normal as well. Um, these are how our body 
adapts to our situation to move us through that that kind of experience. When it becomes a more day-to-day ongoing experience, as in you are waking up with fear or worry or that kind of uh, physiological expression, so the physical symptoms of anxiety, um, whether that is a racing heart, whether that you're having trouble breathing, whether you're having panic attacks, whether you are not even that far along, but you just feel like something quite isn't the same as it was before that shift away from safety and stability to that uh quick darting eyes looking around the space anything that you notice that you're like hmm, that's not out that's outside of my quote-unquote normal operating uh on my day-to-day basis that is a really good sign that it's time to reach out for support. And I'm talking about like the smallest thing as well, because a lot of the time we push through a lot and Mm -hmm. we are all experiencing stress. Like you said, with the past few years, it has been globally stressful for everybody. And I think that we have all gone through a collective trauma and we haven't addressed that as a society in a way that really understands that support is something that isn't necessary when you're at the end of your tether and you're really really struggling it's something that you notice and then you have someone to help guide you back to that space of safety so anytime that you feel like you are not operating at the your normal safe comfortable operating space that is a really good time to notice that anxiety is becoming more of a um Uh, you're tipping outside of your window of tolerance more easily. And when you're shrinking your window of tolerance because there's high amounts of stress and you're tipping into that state of fight or flight or you're tipping into that that freeze or dissociation state, that is a good time to really reach out for support um, prior to getting to that really burnt out uh, phase that we might reach when we're pushing, 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 pushing. So I think for anyone who experiences um, anxiety or motherhood or anything else in life, it's really good to just notice when you're starting to uh, feel that chaos that comes from fight or flight or when you're starting to kind of numb out and disconnect from yourself and start to go, "Mm, okay, that's my nervous system reacting in a state of survival how can I start to guide myself back or how can I get support to guide myself back to that safe and stable like stable area of my window of tolerance Mm -hmm. yeah and I think you know that takes some of the the overwhelming power kind of away from the anxiety when you're like okay this is something normal that my body is doing to protect me and you have your brain and your mind and all of your life experiences to help guide you like okay this maybe isn't rational or maybe um, this is affecting me more than just for that experience that was stressful or, you know, whatever it was, but like, I didn't, I couldn't tell the difference with my first, uh, baby versus my, my second is when I realized I had postpartum anxiety with my first, because my second experience was so different and I could tell what my normal was. And I could tell that it was just so drastically different from my first. I think perspective is a gift that we can give ourselves also, but you know, for first time parents, obviously I I had no, nothing to compare it to. It was the biggest Mm. shift in my entire life but I would have this fear of like going, I was like a crazy pumper. I've told this story a million times. I, I was exclusively breastfeeding my baby and also pumping uh, like, and had a deep freezer in the garage full of milk. And my baby never drank one bag of it because I was saving it in case something bad was going to happen to me. Like mm-hmm. if I was, I, all I could imagine was like going out to the mailbox, trigger warning, there's going to be a trigger warning on this whole episode, but like, I would be going out to the mailbox and a car would hit me. And then how would my husband feed my baby and feed our baby? I would like avoid the stairs because I had a C-section. And so I just felt like unstable. I wouldn't go out without my husband because I felt injured, you know, which Mm. I was, but, um, Mm. you know, it, it's taking like avoiding your stairs in your house. Like that, that is every day. And that's Mm. how maybe you can like help gauge yourself. Like, okay, this is, I have to live here. You know, I can't just avoid the stairs until my baby is a teenager, um, you know, it's just like, it's just finding, it's just becoming really aware of yourself and really tuning in. And I think we're so commonly told to like, oh, that's just normal. And then if we're like feeling this every single day and we're like, oh my gosh, this is normal. Like I literally am so nervous to do anything or so like, so worried in that racing heart. It's just like knowing the signs. It's like arming the people with the symptoms that are not normal so that they can make those educated choices. You know, thank you for sharing that experience because what you said is like, it makes sense why we have these fears. It makes sense why you would think those things. And when you make sense and you understand that these things are um, 
I'm going to say normal things to worry about, especially when you're having your ability to be able to look after your kids is basically hinged on your survival. So to um, plan ahead for those things. So in a, a much bigger sense of the term, it makes sense why you would experience postpartum anxiety because you are now responsible for a child that you have to be around for to care for. And so when we understand that this is not your brain malfunctioning, this is not your way, your body's way of reacting to things badly. This is a really, really beautiful sign that your body and your brain are actually functioning perfectly. They're doing their job perfectly. And that when you understand that you are functioning perfectly, then you can start to empower yourself to make much uh, more compassionate choices towards things as opposed yeah. to thinking, oh my God, there's something terribly wrong with me, which right. puts you into a, a, a state of even more fear and thinking right. that you're in danger or you're endangering your child or you're endangering anything else around you as well. So I think that's a really beautiful example of how we can start to honor that our innate ability to survive always will trump anything else, whether that's rational thought or anything else, it will trump right. all of those things. And it's really important to honor that so that you can be really compassionate towards yourself and then guide yourself back into a state of safety. Really chiming in, let's talk rituals. More specific ritual pre and postnatal vitamins. I've been taking ritual vitamins for over four years. You guys know I have a code for you. It's TRUELOVE20 to save you 20% off to try them out for yourself. It was the only prenatal I could take on an empty stomach that didn't make me feel nauseous and it's the postnatal I've been taking since delivering my youngest. Why I love ritual is that they have traceable ingredients. They're all non-GMO, third-party tested, vegan, and nothing artificial. Their subscriptions are easy to start and easy to cancel and their team of scientists and nutritional experts are on a mission to turn your new healthy habit into a ritual. The shipping is always free. You can control your delivery date, cancel any time, and there's a money-back guarantee. I love ritual. I know you guys will too. Now let's get back to the show. Having that compassion for yourself and instead of thinking, oh, there's something like, I'm already feeling this way. And then, you know, having to put yourself in this box, postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression or all these things that can be even more triggering versus, okay, I understand why my body is doing this, this I'm wired to protect my baby, you know, and to look yeah. out for these things and be hyper vigilant, you know, um, and this yeah. won't last forever. It's a season. And I will learn with my baby as I go, um, I think is really empowering mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's the whole point is to kind of like destigmatize. Cause I feel like everybody has this spectrum of everything, you know, we all go through seasons and, um, I think, the more we talk about it, the more we understand that our body responds to these things because we're wired that way. Um, mm. It's definitely a more compassionate way of looking at it. And then you can help yourself versus feeling like, you know, I'm like hopeless, you know, it can be so empowering and actually take the power away from these really big, big words that have become really powerful, especially like on social media, we're all there to get our information and to absorb things. And so um, yeah. And I think also what you, yeah, what you, what you just said about, um, we feel helpless a lot of the time because we don't talk about these things enough. And, and if you're talking about motherhood and becoming a mother, like this is something that we are often not given as women, all of the, uh, really honest information yeah. during prior. And then after like mm -hmm. you give birth, it, it's such a shift in your physiology, your hormones are changing, but also in your identity, how you kind of shift into a new role, a new space, a new understanding of who you are, how the world works and how your, your kind of connection with your child works and, but also your connection to yourself. And we don't talk about these things so that when you experience something like um, anxiety or intrusive thoughts or um, mm -hmm. anything that kind of feels like uh, outside of the spectrum of safe or normal, it becomes this much bigger blown out um experience because the doctor will say you have postpartum anxiety instead of saying I understand why you're feeling this way I understand right. that you're going through a lot of changes right now and so I think the more that we can talk about these things the more that where women feel um very held amongst a community of people right. that understand and feel feel felt by each other and that's a beautiful thing as well so I love that you talked about um the whole spectrum that happens but also that feeling of helplessness that can be really diffused by having these conversations and understanding how we are naturally moving through the world and the shifts that happen when we go through big life changes like becoming a mother for example mm -hmm. you know that it 
it, it just, it actually would feel more abnormal to not feel this big shift after having a baby, right? And it would actually be more probably worrisome if everything was completely smooth sailing and your mindset <laughs> didn't change at all, you know, after having a baby. I just, I don't look at anything the same way since becoming a mom. And I think that it would be more strange if, if it didn't change, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, having people that really support you and you have a good team around you, because I feel like, you know, you get that, well, we, we get the, like a written, um, you know, assessment that you have to fill out. Like, are you sleeping in normal hours? Are you happy? Are you sad? And you're like, like, are, are people sleeping right now? Because I just had a baby, <laughs> yeah. like, is it normal to be like sleeping all the way through? Uh, because I'm not, you know, and like, what is normal? It's just like all these things. Uh, and I don't think that I, at least I didn't, like, I did not tell anybody about my fear of getting hit by a car and why I was mm -hmm. pumping. And I was just depleting myself. Um, mm -hmm. My husband didn't even understand like why I was pumping. And then I told him years later and he was like, you know, I wouldn't have been able to go in the deep freezer and use that milk because I would have been like, it would have just reminded me of you. Like that baby would have gotten formula. You know, I couldn't have mm -hmm. even brought myself into the deep freezer to go get it. And so like, yeah. I never told him, so I'm doing all this extra depletion and work to support the baby. And I never told him because I didn't think he'd understand. And then he was like, I wouldn't even go down there. Like, and so it's just more communication, yeah. more support, like just connecting more. Can we talk a little bit more about disassociation, derealization, depersonification? Yeah, I'm butchering that word. Um, anyways, there's three of them. Can you give us an example of each one and how this can be related to trauma? Um, I'm yeah. specifically kind of thinking about birth trauma, but I, you know, not everybody on here is going to be a mom and there could be traumas like other than birth because, uh, or birthing traumas yeah. because their life is traumatic. Um, so why is it important for us to understand the difference and then um, once we do kind of have that awareness, what steps can we take forward uh, to start healing? Yeah, absolutely. So dissociation, derealization, and depersonalization. I'm butchering it now too. Oh, so no, I'm messing you up. <laughs> depersonalization. Um, they all fall under. So if we look at our nervous system and how it's structured, we have our uh, ventral vagal state, which is where our safety, our stability, our kind of safe connection engagement state is and that's really where we want to sit in the middle of our window of tolerance then it, on top of that so if you go up a level we have our sympathetic nervous system which is our fight or flight action and chaos kind of uh, manic going around doing things that's our high straight stress state of arousal and then underneath all of that is what is called our dorsal vagal uh, nervous system so this is our tonic immobility freeze response this is where dissociation lives and this is where we've kind of spilled over from that sympathetic state. We've been in a state of high stress. So if you look at birth, for example, you're pushing, you're pushing, pushing, you're trying to go through it, whether with a natural birth, a C-section, you have to have all of these different doctors in your face all of the time. You're in a immense pain so you're in a high stress environment when your body decides this is too much it goes into shutdown so that is when we drop down into that dorsal vagal state and that is where we have our parasympathetic nervous system activated but to the extreme so if you think of your parasympathetic nervous system as being your rest and digest that's mm -hmm. where we want to be most of the time but when we have too much parasympathetic activation it slows down our heart rate even more it slows down our breathing tempo we get colder we're conserving energy we're playing dead if you want to look at it like that so right. it's called tonic immobility and this is where dissociation derealization depersonalization all live and the reason why these kind of uh, survival modes exist is if you think about um, any time that you have hurt yourself really badly, say you had an injury or an accident, we often don't feel the pain immediately. And that is because we disconnect somewhat from our bodies in order to get through that situation, to get through that moment. So dissociation is kind of like an umbrella term for disconnect from emotions, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, um, or lack of continuity between those two things so it's almost like a disorganized way of of thinking and feeling in the world you think of it kind of like you're a bit spaced out that's mm -hmm. what dissociation is we actually have higher pain tolerance when we're in a dissociated state and we're in that dorsal vagal state we 
um, kind of escape into our head. So for example, if something's happening to your body and it's really overwhelming, you might be imagining a safe place in your head or just off somewhere else in your mind. So it's a really functional space to be in when you are going through a highly, highly stressful event in order to protect your mind and your body. So Mm -hmm. that is why it's so difficult for people who experience trauma, who have gone into a dissociated state to recount their experience because you're not actually present and experiencing that. um, And it might come back to you in snippets of memories or feelings or sensations, or there might be triggers that come up from that, but you have actually kind of exited being present in your body and you're now in your head. And so in your head, you can create a, a, a different space to operate in. So dissociation is that kind of umbrella term, whereas depersonalization is where we feel disconnected from our body specifically. So our body tends to feel not real. It feels like we're almost observing ourselves or it's commonly described as feeling like you're a robot. So you're kind of looking at your body and understanding this is my body, but it doesn't feel like you're connected to your body or the movements that you're making. So mm-hmm. that's depersonalization where you're not connected to your body. Whereas derealization is more of a disconnection from others, the world around you, the environment. So what that feels like is almost like you're the people that you love most are behind a glass wall. You can see them, but you can't touch them. You can hear them, but you're not connected to them. You don't feel that warmth from other people. It's a disconnection of yourself from other people in the world around you. And people often describe it as being in a dream or watching a movie. You're watching your life as a movie, but you're not actually a part of it. You're just a, you're playing a role in it. Mm-hmm. And so all of these states play a really important role in how we move through experiences of trauma or whether that is something that happened as a kid. For example, you heard thunder and your mum wasn't there or your parent wasn't there. And so you hid under your bed and you made make-believe. You you went into your head, you, you pretended that you were in a spaceship, whatever it was that you had to do to deal with that situation, to look after yourself. That is often when we start to kind of take these different states of survival. And then as an adult, they come out more and more because we are exposed to so many more stresses and traumatic Mm -hmm. events and different experiences in our life. So these states of dissociation are really important. And I can imagine that this is something that comes up a lot for you with your clients um, after going through like birth, that you are dealing with a very uh, traumatic in and of itself. Your body is going through immense amounts of pain and stress in a medical environment often, or um, if you're in a home birthing environment, then you are having to move through that in a way that allows you to survive. So that Mm -hmm. is why we have these states and that's how we kind of start to understand where, where we escape to, how we move through these high stress situations, but also some people might move into dissociation or derealization or depersonalization as they go to survival response because that has worked for them in the past uh-huh. and so our nervous system is very um it, it learns through our experiences so for example if as a kid dissociation worked really well for you then as an adult it will go quickly into your tonic immobility dorsal vagal state rather than going into a sympathetic activation but if you're as a kid you went into a very high stress state then it will head into sympathetic and when that gets Mm -hmm. overwhelming then it will tip down into your kind of uh, freeze state down below as well so it's really important to understand how your nervous system maps these different things and understand different situations different triggers different things will activate different parts of your nervous system based on your past experiences Mm -hmm. so there's no right way or wrong way of surviving there just is and I think often people with dissociation or that kind of disconnective state often feel like something's terribly, terribly wrong because they tip into freeze response really quickly. But the reality is that it's just a response that works really well for you. And that is why you lean on that more and more. And so when you understand that, it's much easier to map yourself back into that really safe, calm and connected space than it is if you're uh, feeling like you're never going to be able to get back there, which is often the case when you're in that disconnected state that you Mm -hmm. might not ever get back to feeling normal. But um, that's a a very general kind of understanding of what those different states are and why we experience them when we go through traumatic events but also just stressful events as well can be really triggering for those states too Mm -hmm. yeah no I can think of 100 different experiences where um, you know even like 
fighting with your spouse or getting into an argument and they like completely tune out and it like turn like ramps you up even more. It's just like, yes. you know, maybe that person was sent to the room a lot to like deal with it by themselves, or maybe they got yelled at a lot or like whatever. So we just like do what we've always done. And until we realize mm-hmm. that what we're doing is what we've always done and we can change it, then um, we're just going to like keep doing it. Cause our body is just going to take the path of least resistance, right? It's just going to go where we normally go. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And your, your nervous system, your brain are inherently lazy. Like they will always take that path oh, yeah. of least resistance, but 100%. also like familiarity is what is safe to our bodies. Mm-hmm. So if you, especially if you grew up in an environment, say as a kid, you grew up in like a chaotic environment, your parents were arguing all the time even though logically you know that creating arguments and being in that combative state is not safe you will create those situations because it feels most safe to you so when you start to (laughs) dive into like really (laughs) understanding safety and how safety is not necessarily what you cognitively think of as safe but what Mm -hmm. is most familiar to you that it's much easier to see how we lean on different kind of uh, natural resources or personal resources or coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. um, compared to some other other people and that's why you can never compare yourself to someone else's journey because uh your complete uh mapping of your nervous system and idea of safety is going to be completely different from anyone else's and that's a really beautiful and unique thing to hold uh true to yourself okay can you tell us a little bit about what bilateral stimulation is and how it can be used as a tool for somebody to utilize at home uh when and how do we use this technique? I've seen it like across social media, like especially with the music, putting it behind your head, um, like the, like some of those rules you can put behind your head. And it really is like, really crazy stimulation and it actually feels like so good yeah absolutely like bilateral stimulation is a really simple like idea and notion and it's really just the use of different stimuli like sound or visuals or movement that is presented to both sides of the body and so by presenting that kind of stimulus to both sides of the body it activates different brain hemispheres and so if you think about when you're in a state of activation or when you're in a state of freeze we are using certain parts of our brain like our limbic brain our limbic brain system so our amygdala um, hypothalamus but our prefrontal cortex often kind of goes offline when we're in those states especially when we're in dissociated states uh, we're kind of in a chaotic sympathetic state these states are not using our prefrontal cortex to rationally kind of connect the dots between event stimulus trigger a reaction those different types of things so when we use bilateral stimulus we start to expand the brain hemispheres that our brain is functionally using so it starts to build that connection back up so that we are coming back online so sometimes when you're in a really activated state you're like very frantic but you're not thinking rationally about a situation Mm -hmm. bilateral stimulation is a really beautiful way to bring you back to that kind of more anchored grounded space of thinking through uh, okay well this has happened what are my next logical steps so it can be sound it can be auditory stimulation it can be visual so for example my favorite things to do are visual bilateral stimulation because they are very easy to and accessible to do at home so for example you could use anything from like say your lip balm being held out in front of you and just moving it from left to right really slowly in front of your eyes keeping your head facing forward and just tracking your eyes from left to right Um, or you could simply use your finger your coffee cup baby bottle whatever you have available to you to move your eyes so that you are activating both hemispheres of the brain Um, you can also use auditory stimulation so sound that is moving from left to right ear Um, that is uh, so if you've ever heard of binaural beats like that is what binaural beats do they kind of have different uh, frequencies of sound moving on different sides of your ears so when you have your headphones in you'll get a different kind of sound coming in your left ear to your right ear other bilateral movement is things like walking so just moving left to right left to right Um, Mm -hmm. these are all really beautiful functional tools that can be used when you're feeling a little bit uh let's say untethered or not grounded or not anchored in your body but also when you have the capacity the way in which i like to use tools is like if you're at 100 and you're stressed out of your mind 
that is probably not the time to use a tool because you're you're going to be like I should do bilateral stimulation but then you're going to be like nah I can't I can't access that right now it doesn't feel accessible to me when that bell curve starts to come down slightly and you start to cognitively go okay like I've been really stressed out or I'm really anxious or I'm aware that these thoughts are happening that's when you want to start to use tools like bilateral stimulation to help guide you back into that state of safety so you want to kind of allow yourself to be in that really heightened state for a few moments and then you want to start to implement different tools just because your nervous system won't allow something unfamiliar to happen when you're in that really heightened or activated state and you can definitely force yourself into doing different resources and tools in that activated state but it may not be as beneficial to you as when you're in a less activated kind of coming back down on the other side of that bell curve so my favorite thing is like bilateral stimulation hold your finger out hold your lip balm out in front of you keep your eyes facing forward and just track your eyes from left to right really slowly and that will help activate both hemispheres of your brain and allow you to start to kind of bring yourself back into that really grounded cognitively aware space so it's used in emdr um, uh, the rapid eye movement processing for ptsd and has found to be really effective for a lot of people in that space because when we activate these hemispheres while recalling memories we start to kind of give our our um, brain a bit more of access to memories and understanding from a different perspective rather than from a really survival lizard brain perspective right. in which we're in it yeah that is such a fantastic explanation it's like when you can't access that that part of your brain that helps you make rational decisions and choices and just knowing that when you're feeling all of this heightened energy like you are not fully thinking and just knowing that is like also just such so helpful like when you say like oh I'm not thinking straight it's you literally are not able to access the thinking part of your brain because you're stuck in survival mode and I would assume you know correct me if I'm wrong um you know be I know that using these tools at the most heightened point is not as beneficial because it's not going to be as well received than maybe being able with more time and more practice and more reps that you can mm. catch yourself before you get to the very heightened state and you know say like, okay I've been feeling like I'm at the end of my rope or like I'm going to burn out soon you know or whatever mm. I want to tap into some of these tools that I have versus having to wait until you're coming off the bell curve which I know like we can't always you know especially as like you're first learning like it changing your habits and your tendencies is so incredibly hard. And so a lot of the mm. time it's going to be, I'm assuming after that bell curve, like you just mentioned, um, but, but over time, is it still beneficial to use those tools and like catch yourself before you get to like the end of your rope? Advice yeah. to everyone is you should be using tools all of the time when you're feeling calm. So when you're in that calm, connected state, that is when your nervous system is open and receptive to learning. And the more that you can feed yourself tools when you're feeling calm, the more accessible those tools are going to be to you when you need them most. Right. If you try to introduce a new tool when you're so you you're looking on Instagram you try a new tool when you're in an activated state mm -hmm. your body immediately goes this is new we don't like it it's mm -hmm. too dangerous for us to try something that isn't familiar right so right. remember that idea that familiar is what is safe we need to practice something as much as possible when we're feeling safe so that it becomes familiar to us so that when right. we're in that state we go, oh, I know how to do this. I've got this tool and it's familiar and I want to be able to use it right now. So we want to be practicing consistently when you're feeling calm. And then yes, catching yourself becomes the the kind of go-to thing to do as in like the more connected you become, the more understanding you have of your body, your sensations, your feelings, the more able you are to catch yourself when you are kind of coming up as opposed to when you're coming back down. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is it's really important to honor that it's really hard to catch yourself sometimes yeah. and so yeah so doing that when so doing it on the other side of things is still just as beautiful and beneficial and you're doing extremely well even just doing that um no matter where you are on that kind of spectrum of things so if you can try to do it consistently every day then you're giving yourself the tools so that they're more accessible to you when you're in that heightened state it's all beneficial no matter where you fall on that spectrum and then how long do we do one of these tools for like if we're going to practice every day like what is the amount of time <laughs> and this is like the golden question that everyone yeah. asks me <laughs> I feel like um ah. 
everyone is so different so for example you could practice a tool for 90 days and it still not become safe and familiar to you and simply because sometimes we are doing a tool that's not innately what we're guided towards as in like you're forcing yourself to do something because you think it's going to be good but it's not what you actually want to be doing or it's not your natural kind of inclination to be doing that tool or some people have experienced different traumas and we are far less receptive to taking on different tools and so it takes long some people will do a tool, tool for a week and find that it is really integrated and beneficial and they just continue doing that. So safety and stability is something that can take a week. It could take years. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really daunting thing for people to understand. But what I say to you is consistency is whatever consistency is for you. So for mm-hmm. example, if you're a new mum and you have five minutes to yourself every second or third day, then that is what is consistent for you. So you would practice for five minutes every third day as long as you can. And you just continuously do that for as long as you continue to do that until it becomes second nature. When you don't have to think about something as in like you're just doing it kind of like that you're brushing your teeth or you're having a shower or you're doing just normal things that you don't think about you don't think about the steps involved with it that is really when it's become integrated into your mind and your body so if you think about if you had to think about brushing your teeth and you go I have to put get pick up my hand put the toothpaste on the toothbrush it would be exhausting right so when that breathing breathing pattern when you're picking up your lip balm to do bilateral stimulation when this just happens like clockwork that is when you go that's fully integrated and everyone's uh, timeline and time frame is going to be completely different but don't feel like you have to be able to pick it up and it's going to be instantaneously there and available for you because that is just it's no one is like that I'm going to tell you now no one is like that (laughs) well that just like completely takes the pressure off you know like if 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 it's not like completely curing like whatever you're going through in a month that's okay if it takes you a year and you're you know and maybe try a different tool like it's just it takes the pressure off of you know I see somebody else doing this with you know just like anything like you just can't compare yourself to literally anybody because you just you don't know their whole story you don't know you know everybody is just so different and there's beauty in that and I feel like that's like what's been snatched away from us is like I want a specific protocol that I can do every single day for a certain amount of time and I want it to happen this fast and it's just like not the case like our bodies are all so different and our experiences and our life make us who we are and you know um, you've just like said it so many times like that's where the beauty is is like understanding Mm -hmm. and having compassion for yourself that your experience is going to be different than somebody else's and just honoring that can help you um, you know receive whatever kind of like tools you're doing or uh, you know in a, in a more compassionate way and just make it a little bit easier to like digest also. Yeah. And also um, what you said just then is that if you don't like the tool and this is something I say to my clients all the time, if you hate something, just say, I hate this and throw it out because it's, I, I love to think force is literally the arch nemesis of safety if you are forcing mm-hmm. yourself to do oh, something yeah. and there's a spectrum to this like obviously there's uh, always resistance to doing some things in our life that are beneficial for us but if you are finding that you are consistently like oh, I don't want to do this every single time that is a really good sign that you should just let table that one for now it doesn't mean that you're a failure it's not a reflection on you in any way shape or form it is simply allowing and honoring yourself to be guided by your own preferences and desires which are important they are important what you want what feels good for you is important and when you honor that there's no pressure to be perfect at something there's no pressure to continue doing something so honor that your values your preferences your desires are really important so if something feels bad it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel easy it doesn't feel nice just table that and move on to something else that does feel good for you yeah and there's like again just like so much power in that because like even with working out and fitness like what's the best exercise like what's the best exercise like what's the best fitness routine for whatever and it's like the one that you actually do that's the best exercise is like the one that you actually are motivated to do every single day. So just like find the way that you love to move and do more of that. So I love how much you talk about the vagus nerve. Can you explain what the vagus nerve does, why it's important and some takeaway tools to access and increase vagal tone? 
Yeah, absolutely. Vegasnerve is my gem and I love talking about it because it is something that I think has been misunderstood for a really long time and maybe even written off for a long time as pseudoscience or uh, whatever else people want to say about the mind-body connection. But the vagus nerve is part of our nervous system and it is a long nerve that comes from the brain of from the brain it comes from the base of our brain um, and it runs through our whole body um, basically down to our gut and our genitals so it innovates a lot of different organs of our functions of our body and it is made up of 75% parasympathetic nervous system fibers so when we look at that, our parasympathetic nervous system is our vagus nerve. It is not like there's little bits and pieces that are housed in different cranial nerves that come from our brain, but most of our parasympathetic nervous system is our vagus nerve. And so when we look at it like that and how our vagus nerve actually touches our lungs, it touches our heart, it touches our gut. It is the thing that is kind of like, if you were looking at the time, it's like the ticking, uh, like the barometer of the wind. It tells you how windy things are going in your body so for example if it's like things aren't functioning properly it's a really windy day it's chaotic down here you might have a racing heart rate You're, you might be breathing not not very um calmly your diaphragm's kind of up here you're breathing into your chest your parasympathetic nervous system your vagus nerve is going to be sending all sorts of alarm bells to your brain to say something is not right something's not functioning properly when things are really nice and calm and there's just that light breeze your vagus nerve sends this message hey everything's really good let's maintain this and so when we look at our vagus nerve as kind of like the barometer of how we're doing it is the thing that helps us kind of tip into that calm state, but it is also the thing that helps us tip into that chaotic state by changing the way in which our physiology functions. So it will activate your heart rate to go faster. It will make you breathe faster through aeroreceptors on our, our, our lungs and our capacity. It's the thing that innovates and helps your gut absorb nutrients and bacteria I guess nerve is like fundamentally part of your nervous system and how you are able to um, be calm to be activated and it is fundamentally how we breathe and how our heart beats and everything else in between so when we can start to strengthen, I want you to think of your vagus nerve kind of like if you had the cord of your phone and you're trying to charge your iPhone, um, but the end of the vagus, well, the cord is frayed and it's just charging really slowly. You're getting like 1% every hour. That is what can happen to our vagus nerve when we are in high stress situations, when we experience trauma, when we don't nourish our body um, in ways that are really beneficial, when we are exposed to lots of different environmental toxins. Our vagus nerve, the connection for it to send messages to change things in our body becomes frayed like that phone wire. So we want to start to create a really strong connection between our vagus nerve and all of our different organs in our body and how you can do that is by toning your vagus nerve. It's a weird way of like talking about it, but it's basically strengthening your vagus nerves connection between all of your different organs and your brain. So mm -hmm. how you can do that is it's always fun. It's fun to be able to tone your vagus nerve because there's like lots of fun different things things that activate it so things like singing humming chanting are all beautiful ways to activate your vagus nerve so if you think about your vagus nerve running from the back of your head and it actually has two vagus nerves they run down the left and the right side of your neck and then they come through your body and they go over your heart your belly everywhere so this area your face and your neck is where you have like i guess the most access to your vagus nerve so singing humming chanting gargling are all ways in which you can activate your vagus nerve i like to think of it kind of like tickling your vagus nerve endings so you're mm -hmm. just kind of like if you think of when you're humming and that vibration that happens in your lips that is kind of you like tickling your vagus nerve and activating it so that's a beautiful way to activate your vagus nerve. So that's like you tickling your vagus nerve. So singing, humming, chanting, gargling. So if you like to do yoga, om, 
OMS are really good. Um, they're, they're beautiful ways to activate your vagus nerve. But some of my like most gentle ways to activate your vagus nerve are things like giving yourself a scalp massage. Like if you're a mother or you're becoming a mother, like think about like putting your thumbs behind your ears and just gently massaging the scalp of your head. And this activates your vagus nerve through your high geminal nerve, which runs over your face and into your scalp and really gently activates your vagus nerve. And I, oh, if, if somebody- I think about a... those like spider things, you know, that spider metal <laughs> thing that you put on your head and how it would give you the chills, but you like, you couldn't, you didn't want it to stop. Like it felt so yeah. good. Like they always sold those at the mall. And now we know we need one of those, that that's like the perfect stocking stuffer for moms. So like Mother's Day, like anything, get her one of those metal spider- head scratcher things so she can tone Vegas <laughs> <make his> nerve <laughs> those massages are just gonna have like a huge spike in sales they're gonna be yeah. like I don't know what happened but yes everyone needs one of those in their life or you just like they're so it's so easy to give yourself a scalp massage like you can do it while you're doing other things and it's just mm-hmm. such a gentle way to give yourself a little bit of that kind of uh, safe touch first of all so touch in a way that feels really good for you mm-hmm. um, it is also a way to give yourself like vagal toning and activation but it's also just a, a, a pause and a moment of connection between the mind and the body as well so singing humming chanting scalp massages is a really beautiful way um, another beautiful way is diaphragmatic breathing which I'm sure you're very very yeah. aware of and understand deeply that when we activate um, through our diaphragm and and we inflate all of the little alveola and bronchia in our lungs that we start to send this feedback through our baroreceptors that we are calm and this activates our vagus nerve as well so my favorite way to do this is through a um, breathing technique called the physiological side and is basically because every five minutes or so we kind of inaudibly and subconsciously sigh in order to reinflate our lungs to capacity and when we reinflate our lungs we create this really calming effect in our body so when we are doing our physiological sigh when you just like take a nice deep inhale through your nose and then do a sharp inhale again and then letting it go and that is a physiological sigh we can mimic having a sigh a natural sigh to reinflate our lungs and to have that really calming effect on the body as well so that those three singing humming chanting that's like multiple but I'll put them in an umbrella chanting gargling uh, scalp massages and the physiological sigh are like some of the most portable accessible and gentle ways in which we can give our vagus nerve some TLC as we're going through the day and you can do them while you're doing other things so they don't have to be like this big sit down I have to do this for myself kind of thing we can just do them as we're moving through the day as well I love that it's so accessible and also I love um just how you're saying you can do them with other things like as you're doing other things in the day and how you like don't have to think about brushing your teeth or don't have to think about like there's things that we do every single day that we do not have to give conscious effort to. And those are the things that we should be habit stacking. So like if you do something every single day, no matter what, you should tack on one of these things because that's going to be the easiest habit to kind of like tack on to versus like making this whole new habit and finding time for it. Just like you mentioned. And it again, takes the pressure off. Um, And you know, that big sigh, like every time you sit down to breastfeed your baby or pump, you know, you can do that deep. And that also like is going to stimulate your vagus nerve and also stimulate your milk coming in. Cause when you're relaxed, your milk comes in more. Um, So it's just, you know, it's these little things that can make a huge difference that people just don't know how to do it, you know, or don't know that it's available. So those are super easy. And children sing all the time and they're singing and and humming and you're like gosh what are you what are you even doing like what are you singing about and it doesn't even matter you know it's just like and then they want you to sing to them all the time because that's probably stimulating to them as well and it's um it just makes sense and I always like say that too like children just know what the right thing to do is you know like we're not worried about them sitting in a hunched over position or you know how their squat form is because they have no restrictions they just do what is innately right for them and it is right and we lose that along the way we stop singing stop dancing we stop squatting we stop doing all these things you know we you know we stress our kids out with our own trauma and then they stop breathing Mm -hmm. deeply because they're constantly in this like shallow breathing pattern Mm -hmm. um you know and then having to like undo those cycles later, you know, parenting for me has been the biggest mirror into the Mm. things that I need to parent and, and have compassion for in myself and ultimately like change those cycles and realize like, 
these are things that I didn't like when they happened to me. I want to change them. But like you said, like our brain is going to take the path of least resistance. And so we resort to them. And then we're like, why are we doing that? I sound like my parents, you know? And, um, yeah. and it's so hard to stop yourself from doing it too, even though you're consciously aware of it. And like yeah. you said, I, I love that. Like, like parenting and, and going through that transition is it's such a time and opportunity to have your own, uh, I'm going to say shit reflected back onto oh, yeah. you because it's very rare that that happens outside of that situation or totally. it's very rare that we are forced to look at it in a mm -hmm. way that um, you don't have a choice. Like you're seeing yeah. yourself play play out patterns and, and in real time. And it's up to you whether you want to go, this is a pattern that I want to continue or it's a pattern that I want to change. And when you want to change, know that it is okay to continue doing that pattern still because that is a very natural thing that's it's become hard. conditioned. It's hard. It's hard as shit. It's worse when, you're, when your children start doing the pattern to you and you're yeah. like, wait, where did, they oh yeah, they learned it from me okay so we've got a bigger problem here this isn't a newborn anymore this is like a tiny human that is just repeating what I'm doing and like I know exactly where she learned that from you know and like yeah. like you said like you just it it doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> no, not at all. And so don't, yeah, don't expect anything to change quickly. But I love also that you said that uh, kids want you to sing back to them as well, because like this, uh, we use voice as a way and signal to understand safety. So if you think about when you you had a baby for the first time, you're constantly speaking really soothing tones, really nice, calming tones to them. And that is how they understand that they're safe in this world. It's this, uh, it's called neuroception. It's how we kind of understand safety from the world. And we learn that through our parents and caregivers. So when we sing, especially singing in groups, so if you go to a choir or you're singing with your kids, we have this like uh, kind of bi-directional connection with other people that, that is sending signals of safety back and forth yeah. and so that's a really beautiful thing that we can do um in solitary like we understand that we can do this by ourselves and give that feeling of safety or change our state change our breathing pattern through our breath activate our vagus nerve but also when we're connecting with other people through song it can also be a really beautiful way to create safety that is moving back and forth where we can kind yeah. of borrow from other people's nervous systems as well so I love that you you brought up that singing to your kids and that kind of back and forth that that you have with them because that's a really important facet of safety too that's incredible to know because that you know you you just and, and as a mom like you become a singer I don't know if anybody else has realized they've become a singer since becoming a mom because you just make up songs for everything, cleaning up and doing this and washing your hair. And it's like, why? But it's like your body is hardwired to, like you just said, which I did not know, like provide that safety through the tone of your voice, through the singing. And when they start to sing back to you and it's like, babies are singing back to you before they can even make words. You know, they're just like humming along yeah. with you or like whatever. Um, gosh, how special. The other thing that I just thought of too was, um, is birds singing mm. is incredibly soothing to me. I don't know if it's to everybody, but it's like, it's so calming. And just knowing that the, that it's like the birds are singing too. Like they're sending that safety song out into the world also. It's like so crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about, I think I feel the same way about when I hear like a bird singing, like it's this immediate uh, sense of relief that I have like <gasps> and yeah. that is what we uh, get through sound and that is why like auditory bilateral stimulation or really calming soothing songs or just people that have really nice soothing tones of their voice yeah. um uh people that you want to be around more and when you hear that really harsh like someone berating you harsh tone mm -hmm. that's immediate signal to yourself to kids to other people that it is not safe so mm -hmm. when the people react in ways that they go um and they do things and you're like why are you doing that it's because they don't feel safe in that environment because your, mm -hmm. your voice is not sending signals of safety to them in that environment so um your voice is a huge way in which you can speak to yourself in really soothing and calming tones but also get that from other people from your kids through singing through that safety connection as well and that's a beautiful space to be in when you start to understand who feels safe whose voice you like to be around yeah. what you like to listen to from a different perspective as well so I think that's a thank you for bringing that up too with the birds as well <laughs> well that just makes so much sense because you know your tone matters so much in the delivery of whatever you're saying like nobody is going to receive what you're saying if the tone is off 
And that just makes so much sense. If, If what you're saying doesn't sound safe due to the tone, that it's going to immediately put somebody on guard because they're not, they don't want to even receive what you're saying because of the tone you're delivering it in. So that makes so much sense. Um, Okay. So last question, what are somatic exercises? I see these all over your page specifically. How can uh, they help us take control and calm anxiety? And what are these somatic exercises actually doing to our body? And what are your favorite tools? Okay, so I'm going to speed through this one so that we can fit it all in. So somatic exercises are really anything that is connective between mind and body. So if you think of using touch, sound, sight, hearing, all of these different things, we are really connected through uh, something tactile and then understanding what that feels like in our body. For a lot of people, uh, the sensation side of things becomes really difficult to anchor into sometimes. If you feel numb, if things don't feel quite right, you become hyper aware of your sensations um, such as like your racing heart and you feel like you're going to have a panic attack and this this becomes a trigger so we want to start to build that somatic awareness through uh, our body understanding the world from a different space and that is by connecting the mind and body through sensation through connection through engagement with other people so for example uh, I love shaking I love dancing I love shaking and dancing as a tool as a somatic tool to release a lot of energy so instead of talking through what you're stressed about next time try shaking it out for 15 minutes and that sounds like a long time and you're going to be puffed so even just like one minute of shaking is really beautiful but put on some music that really energetic music you're in a heightened state meet yourself where you're at give your body what it needs your body wants to move so gift yourself that tool to shake and dance get that energy out and then move on with your day so that's a somatic tool because you're using your body in a tactile functional way to Mm -hmm. meet yourself and honor your needs of your survival mode in that moment another somatic tool could be um, listening to music and feeling the vibrations in your body and that's a really beautiful thing too it could be humming and feeling the vibrations so for example when I hum I feel my lips tingle and when I feel my lips tingle I can also start to then dip down deeper into my body and feel my throat open up too and I can feel my throat kind of vibrating and then I feel my lungs expand so when we start to drop into the sensations of different tools as they're happening we create a really strong body mind connection and that helps us actually uh, give our nervous system what it actually needs so for example you don't need to think your way through a survival situation but your body needs to be able to have the resources that it can go I can shake it out I can hum I can sing and I don't have to talk about this because I'm not in a cock state to be able to do this so when we build that connection we can not only find that spot before we get to the height of our bell curve we can actually notice what our body is doing we can understand how we're moving through the world what feels safe what feels not safe what triggers us what doesn't trigger us but we can also then understand our own preferences desires and things that feel really good for us not based on anyone else but simply by understanding our own picture of the world that is unique to us as well so somatic kind of therapy and awareness all kind of on this feeling of safety and connection and engagement that we can understand through how our body is reacting to the world and then understanding how we can give our body what we need through these tactile functional or connective practices with ourselves and with other people as well so that's kind of like a really quick quick summation I love love how all the tools are not meditation because I feel like that's such a hard thing for people to wrap them like wrap their heads around especially when you're at the top of that bell curve like there's no way you can like start meditating at that moment. And so having all these other tools is like so helpful, even though I'm sure meditation, like I'm sure we all, we all at some point, you know, would love to be a Buddha and love to be a monk, but like the, it's just like so much work to do, you know? So um, thank you so much for all the tools, all of the information and education. I want to take the last couple minutes here to just ask you, where can people find you? What are the resources that you have? And um, if people want to get in contact with you, how do they do that? Just, just talk about yourself here for the, for the end. <laughs> My favorite thing no, yeah. at all. So th- th- thank you so much for having me, Jesse. I've absolutely loved talking to you. Um, you can come and find me on Instagram. That is where I'm most active at Anna, the anxiety coach. Um, if you have any questions, if you've listened to this podcast, come and just send me a message on there as well. I love to chat to everyone. Um, you can send me an email as well at Anna the Anxiety Coach is my website and you can find all the details there too. But I have two resources, free resources on there, which is um, 
a deep belly breathing corrective exercise for anxiety, as well as a kind of daily uh, rituals and regulations routine for people that really helps kind of put things into a bit more of a structured process for people to start out. And I think that's really helpful when you're a bit overwhelmed on where to begin. Um, but yeah, the Kind Mind Club is how you can work with me. It is a holistic space in which science meets safety. And I have created a three-phase trauma-informed program in which you're step through all of these different phases of healing from safety and stability to integration and processing to then stepping into the most confident space of being grounded and anchored in your own body. So really reclaiming that space as your own. Um, and that is actually opening up on the 28th of October. So that'll be our final intake for the year, um, but a really community-based and beautiful space for everyone to step into too. So check it all out. It's all at adding the anxiety coach. That is how you can find me across the board. Um, but I have just absolutely loved chatting to you and I um, I can't wait to see uh, how these kind of tools disseminate into your, your everyone's laps as well. So thank you for yeah. having me. Thank you so much, Anna. It was a, a complete pleasure of mine to speak with you and you are a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much. Okay.